Amen. So if you would open your Bibles with me this morning to Proverbs chapter 25. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 28. We'll be reading there in a moment. Uh, This morning I want to deal with an issue of addiction. And uh, it's, you know, when we think of addiction, we think of, most people think of two things, drugs and alcohol, right? Maybe pornography. But um, it's actually a a much wider spread issue than that. Of course, those are the harshest topics. But uh, my hope is that this... Uh, sermon this morning would minister to anybody who fights addiction, but also if you don't, if you aren't fighting addiction, it can give you insight as to what the what the life uh, is like that way, and how you can better understand and reach and touch the lives of people who who deal with that. So um, there there was an incident that happened around midnight um, as police officer Courtney Bannock pulled over a car that had various narcotics and drug paraphernalia inside. Police said that Bannock followed proper protocols in protecting herself against exposure. She wore gloves and used uh, PPE, uh, which is personal protection equipment, I think, uh, uh, but with high winds and a potent narcotic, she became exposed and overdosed. Officers heard her on the radio, breathless and choking, Police uh, said an officer at the scene went to check on her and found her slipping in and out of consciousness. They gave her three doses of Narcan to revive her. Bannock uh, said she wasn't anxious about encountering fentanyl, which she had handled many times before during the traffic stops. She also said she took precautions during the traffic stop, saying, I'm very mindful that I don't touch my face if I have gloves on, but I did wipe my nose with my wrist. I don't know, she said. It's hard because I'm helpless, Bannock said. I've administered Narcan to hundreds of people before now, and now I needed it. Uh, Bannock said she doesn't remember most of the moments captured on the body camera video, but chose to release the footage to show the dangerous effects of fentanyl. We're not dealing with pharmaceutical-grade fentanyl, she said. Every day, these, streets, these street chemists are coming up with some, uh, something because drug users are building a tolerance to it. Now fully recovered, Bannock said she's thankful for the quick thinking of her fellow officers. If she was searching the car alone or testing those uh, drugs alone, or whatever the case may be, and didn't have Narcan available, there is a good chance I wouldn't be here now, she said. This drug is lethal, but it doesn't stop people from buying and abusing drugs. And that's the key part at the end, is it doesn't stop people from uh, putting themselves into these situations. You see, this problem of addiction, you think about this nation and fentanyl is the first thing that people talk about. But this problem goes far beyond fentanyl. As Americans, and even within the church, we are an addicted people and addicted to many things. So let's look at our text this morning, Proverbs chapter 25, verse 28, one verse which says, A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Now this morning I want to preach a sermon entitled, Addicted People. Let's pray. Father God, help us today. God, let your spirit, God, minister to each of us, Lord, that we would hear from you today, Father, that you would Uh, Build us up, God, as your people, God, by your spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So we are living in a time where addiction is at an all-time high. And when I want to share some statistics with you, some of these perhaps um, you've heard November 18th, 2021, the CDC reported that an estimated 100,306 Americans died from drug overdoses during the period of April 2020 to April 2021. That is a 28.5% increase from the previous year. And in case you guys didn't connect the dots, that was during COVID. Deaths in some states rose even more sharply. Vermont saw almost a 70% increase in drug overdose deaths in West Virginia increased by 62%. Many states, including Alabama, California, Kansas, Kentucky, Louisiana, Tennessee, and Washington, had a 45 to 50% rise. A vast majority, 73,757 of overdose deaths involved opioids. With most of those, 62,338 involving synthetic opioids, such as fentanyl. Federal officers said that one American died every five minutes from an overdose. In other words, 265 a day. It's at an all-time high because the world has become the perfect incubator for addictions. One of the ways uh, this understanding of addiction evolved was a famous study that took place in the 1980s uh, in a, in a, of rats in a cage. And so given a choice between water laced with drugs or pure water, most often the rats chose the drugs. They eventually became addicted, consuming the drugs repeatedly until they died. Bruce Alexander, a professor of psychology in Vancouver, noted that perhaps the rats resorted to drugs because, now listen to this, they are all alone in the cage with no stimulation. He put the rats in a cage and other uh, in a cage, um, sorry, he put the rats in cages with other rats, toys, tunnels, and food, and noted that rats in a social situation will react differently. Some of the rats tried both types of water, but they didn't become heavy users of the drug-laced water. And none of them died. Alexander carried out additional studies with rats and discovered that if he took a, a solitary drug-addicted rats and placed them in a cage with other rats with social stimulation, they no longer heavily used the drug-laced water. And in today's day and age, technology... And the pandemic mindset that has been created in the world are creating a people who are prepped for addiction within their isolation. Addiction has basically uh, two definitions in the dictionary. The word addiction, uh, the first one, the one that's probably most familiar to us, is to cause, uh, to, cause to become physiologically or psychologically dependent on a habit-forming substance. The second one is to occupy oneself uh, with or involve oneself in something habitually or compulsively. Addiction, basically, is the devotion of a person to something, whether sin in general or food, alcohol, or wealth in particular, so as to become dependent on it. 
And the Bible speaks about addiction in uh, 1 Timothy 3, verses 8 through 9, which says deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with clear conscience. And the language used in the book of Titus gives us a word picture of addiction. Titus chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. It says, Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderous or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train young women to love their husbands and their children. Now to illustrate this, as a prisoner of war, in military terms, a, uh, he or she, if they're a prisoner of war, has been captured by the enemy and is held hostage in context of a war scene or conflict. The situation is where the opposition or the enemy now controls the movements, the actions, or even the reactions of the person who has been captured. And the reality this morning is that many Christians today are prisoners of war, prisoners of spiritual warfare. The enemy has captured them and there appears to be no way of escape for them. They feel trapped by situations and circumstances that the world calls addictions. Whether it's drugs, sex, pornography, alcohol, codependency, gambling, or food, they feel trapped and there seems to be no way out. You see, addiction in our lives creates vulnerability. Our text says that a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. That's an issue in our nation that we've been talking about. No walls creates us vulnerable to people coming in when we don't want them coming in. And this was a much bigger issue in Bible times when if you did not have city walls, you were vulnerable to be attacked by your enemies. So when a city doesn't have walls, there's certain things it cannot offer its citizens. Protection, peace, security, feeling like they can own or build up a, a life for themselves because if they do that, as soon as an enemy attacks, it'll all be gone. And the author of, of our text this morning is making a point that a person who does not have self-control is vulnerable. You see, addiction oftentimes in people's lives removes all self-control from a person's life. The word self-control used in our text um, actually means to uh, have an impediment or a limitation. So in other words, a man who lacks the ability to put limits on himself. When it says a man without self-control is talking of a man who cannot limit himself in certain situations. In Proverbs 25, 28, in the King James says it this way. He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. He has no rule over his own spirit, over himself. And without walls, it is very difficult to rule over your own spirit. So in the world, there is a desperate cycle of addiction in many people's lives. And so if addiction creates vulnerability, it's no wonder 
why it gives access to other spirits and it usually builds upon itself. You heard the term gateway drugs or gateway crimes or gateway this. It's one thing that leads to something more seriously that gets you into more and more trouble into a harder and harder addiction. And through the, through the time in my life and the counsel I've received on this topic, I've seen and heard um, that generally, generally an addict does not struggle with only their addiction. Their addiction didn't start with only a desire to get into something, but generally they begin uh, their journey into an addiction by starting with a struggle with various different things. Some of these things might be uh, violence or rage or anger issues. It could be sexual sin. They could be trapped in poverty or have a victim mindset or many other things. But because like our text says, a city broken into is left without walls. It's as if that city once had walls, once had barriers. And over time, those walls broken down. Listen to me, addicts are not born addicts. When we see uh, a drunk man lying in front of an entrance into a convenience store as we walk out these streets and we see people in different situations and we know what's going on, we need to remember and look at them and say, that person wasn't born this way. That person wasn't created that way. At some point, they made themselves vulnerable to these things. You see, the deception that, pre that, pre that prefaces addiction is that you are using it to distract or get away from a problem but it really ends up trapping you even farther. You find a fix uh, seeking ways to pay for that fix. I'm sorry, you find yourself seeking ways to pay for that fix, and a person will never be satisfied in such a state of slavery. And our text indicates to us that the answer to addiction is self-control through the resources of the new life in Christ. The opposite of addiction, many people would say, what's the opposite of addiction? Well, sobriety. The opposite of addiction is not sobriety, it is self-control. The fight against addiction is not to stop using drugs or alcohol, but to gain back self-control. The mistake we make is to think that addiction is only present in drugs and alcohol. Like I said, we, the first thing we think about when we talk about addictions is, is drugs and alcohol, right? That, that's that, the primary things, and, and of course, it's becoming an increasing issue in our nation. But many people, even Christians, are addicted to things that people will never think about calling an addiction. You might be saying to yourself at this point in the sermon, well, I, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good, I'm, about this sermon. I'm not addicted to drugs or alcohol, so I'm okay. But think again. Jesus in John chapter 8, verse 34, he says, Truly I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And if you're a slave to something within the flesh, it's, it's basically an addiction. You're, you're a slave. You're controlled by it. You're ruled by it. So any unnatural obsession with anything other than God is idolatry and can be in danger of being an addiction. Many people in today's day and age are addicted to sports. That's why church attendance during football season goes down. Many people in today's day and age are addicted to working. You, you hear the term workaholic as if it's actually a good thing. It's usually labeled as a good thing. That guy's a workaholic. You know, he's getting it done. 
Some people are addicted to shopping or acquiring stuff. Some people are addicted to their family. They will, they will let things in their lives crumble and fall apart just to, let, to, to be with their family more. And that sounds like not a bad thing. But in reality, if it's placed above God, it can be an issue. Some people are addicted to self-pleasure. This is where you find uh, the realm of pornography addiction, sexual immorality, and things like that. They deal with the issue of they cannot say no to themselves. Their urge to, to have what they want to have, so they find themselves pleasing themselves at any cost. But if we don't have self-control, we will just keep finding something else to be addicted to. And this is something that personally I've seen over the years. I have friends um, who have come out of you know, rehab. And, and the trend that I see is that most of these people go into rehab with, with a serious addiction, right? Something that needs medical help. But they come out with a socially acceptable addiction, usually tobacco. They say, well, at least you're not doing that other stuff anymore. And, 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 or, or even people who, who are addicted to tobacco, they finally kick that... Um, that habit, but then they become addicted to something so innocent as sugar. Not so innocent, but we'll talk about that another day. You see, church, sobriety is the result of overcoming addiction by gaining self-control. Sobriety isn't the end of the road. It is the clearing of the road that you need to beginning to take. It's like a roadblock in your life and that roadblock is finally cleared and now you have a path to begin on. Jesus portrays this issue to us in Matthew chapter 12, verse 43 through 45. And he says, When an unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, but finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits, more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of that person is worse than the first. So it will be with this evil generation. And so in this text, Jesus is talking about general spiritual issues, and and this uh, person that he speaks of in an example, you know, We don't know how this demon was manifesting himself in this person. But if it was addiction to drugs or alcohol or pornography or or even just food or shopping, we can say that this person once dealt with an addiction, then became sober, but never gained self-control or dominion over themselves. And so the road was cleared, but they never began down that road. But if it was an uh, so in this generation of addicts, the question is how do we gain back our self-control? How do we gain back our time? In a generation of people who are addicted to such simple things as social media and screens and, and Netflix and forget about the drugs and alcohol. What is it every single day of your life that's taking up the time that you should be devoting to God, that you should be devoting to ministry, that you should be using to reach lost souls? But instead, we see a generation that spends on average, I think it is six hours a day on social media. 
Think about that. If you sleep for eight hours, good for you. That's a third of your day. If you spend six hours on social media, that's 12 hours. That's 50% of your day sleeping on social media. Assuming you have a full-time job, there's another eight hours gone right there. That's 20 hours, and then you have four hours left that you probably spent eating, drinking, and watching TV. You see, these simple, seemingly harmless things in our lives can consume us. And yes, maybe these aren't addictions that, that see us acting crazy in the streets like what we think about when we think about addiction, but at the end of the day, if it's strong enough to take your soul and send you to hell, it's a big deal. So how do we gain self-control? How do we take our lives back? How does someone who can't control himself come back to a place to where they can surrender to God? The only way you can take your life back is through a complete surrender to God. This means that you take on all the ways of God. I've said this many times before when talking about uh, people who dealt with strong addictions, whether it's anything from drugs to sex to even lifestyles, that these people, when they get saved and when God sets them free, oftentimes what you want to see is, is you want to see them, they want to put one foot in God and they still want to have one foot in the world. They want to hang on to those relationships, those people that they have, and they still want to kind of do the church thing because, I mean, that's how they got saved, right? That's how they got out of their addiction, but they still want to maintain this, this lifestyle of, of the, the worldly friends, the worldly entertainment, the worldly this and that, and, and just a little bit of that. It ain't going to hurt me. And, and for some Christians, you can maybe get away with that, but if you lived a life where your life was centered and focused around something and it completely consumed you to the point of a severe addiction, you can't live like this. Because eventually, it goes like this, and then like this, and then like this, and before you know it, you're all the way across the street. Someone who deals with addiction, and I'm not, I'm talking everything, all the way from social media to the hardest of drugs. When God sets you free, you put your house in order, then you set yourself back in the right path, and that's all the way in the will of God. That's all the way where God, no, no one foot in the world. The Bible says that you must die to the ways of the world, that you must reject the ways of the world. First John says that he who loves the world does not love God, and the love of God is not within him. This means taking on all the ways of God, putting your life completely on his path. Let's consider Ruth. As an example here, how she surrenders to God through, through the action of clinging to her mother-in-law. Now, Ruth's backstory is that she was not a Jewish person. She came from a nation and a people who didn't follow the God of the Israelites. But she realized something in her time with, uh, with her mother-in-law, who was a Jew, that the God of her people, the life of her people, was a life that she needed to be a part of. And if you don't know the story of, of Ruth, um, Ruth married uh, Naomi's daughter, or son, I mean, and they went off to this land, and they, be, you know, they, got, 
They were living happily ever after, or so they thought, and then tragedy strikes. And her husband dies, her, her husband's brother dies, who was married to another woman. And Naomi says, you know what, I'm defeated, I'm bitter, I'm tired of this, I'm going back home. And Ruth says, I'm coming with you. And she says this in Ruth chapter 1, verse 16 through 17. She says, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God shall be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. You see, she is surrendering herself to a new life. She says, I can't go back to where I'm from. Think about that. As, as, it, as people who are addicted, as people who once lived a life of sin, and she sees uh, uh, her mother-in-law, Naomi, as her way into a relationship with God. She goes, I can't go back to where I'm from. I don't care what my life has been up to this point. Yeah, my husband's dead. Yeah, my brother-in-law's dead. Yeah, my father-in-law's dead. But I can't go back to that life. She surrendered her life to walking with God. And it's as if when she says to Naomi, she's actually saying to God, where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. God, you are my God. And you know the story continues on. She later finds favor in the eyes of a man named Boaz, and, and, she t and he takes her to be... Uh, his wife, and, and through this faithfulness of her life, of rejecting the old life and completely committing her life to the life of one that God has for her, she is actually now found in the lineage of Jesus Christ. Think about this. Psalms 94, verse 21 through 23. says, They band together against the life of the righteous and condemn the innocent to death. But the Lord has become my stronghold and my God, the rock of my refuge. He will bring back on them their iniquity and wipe them out for their wickedness. The Lord our God will wipe them out. I want to focus on this. The Lord has become my stronghold. You see, in life we talk about strongholds and it can be a negative thing or it can be a positive thing. You talk about strongholds of sin and addiction, family curses, all these different things, or is your stronghold God? Is your stronghold Jesus Christ? We find freedom by being born again. To be born again means that our old man, our old life has passed away, and we, through the power of Jesus Christ, have become a new creation. This isn't just an area of your life. This is your whole life. Right? Let's go back to the rug. You can't be half new life and half old life. That means you're either half living and half dead. You must become a new life. Matthew 16, 20, 25 says, For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Think about that. 
Whoever loses his life for my sake, whoever seeks to save his life, that's what people do. They want to save their life. They, yeah, I want to do this Jesus thing, but I also want to have my life. I also want to have these things. I also want to have that whatever. I want to cling to this still, but yeah, I want this Jesus stuff too. Whoever saves his life will lose it. This is the real life. This is the real born again. This is the real eternal life. But whoever loses his life for my sake, we'll find it. That's what Jesus is saying. That if we can take all of who we are and put it before him at the altar, that we will find true life. Because church, you might be thinking to yourself, you know what, I feel like, you know, I'm not, I'm not addicted to drugs or alcohol. I, I don't feel like I got a big issue with, 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 you know, social media even. I'm not a workaholic. I think I got it all balanced pretty well, but listen, that's good. But if your foot is anywhere over here, you're in danger of that becoming not true. Whether it's something so simple and seemingly innocent or something so serious. I've been a Christian long enough to see people living like that and not winning. Because if you're not careful, you can be in church holding on to a life that you need to let go of. And eventually that life takes you in all the way. You see, church is just a part of the kingdom of God here on earth. Coming to church doesn't save you. It's a good step in the right direction. But being in church doesn't save you. It's the, it's the, it's the, the catchphrase that everybody loves to say, standing in a garage doesn't make you a car just as much as going to church doesn't make you a Christian. But there's some truth to that. To be truly changed, you must be willing to lose everything that you once were right here, right now, to be something that God wants you to be. A famous general in United States history, Douglas MacArthur, was meeting with his foe, a, uh, a Japanese general. The meeting was to set up for the Japanese general to officially surrender the war. The Japanese general stuck out his hand to shake MacArthur's hand, and MacArthur said, I cannot shake your hand, sir, until you first surrender your sword. We cannot be friends as long as that sword is hanging by your side. Give me the sword, and then we'll shake hands. See, a lot of us today, a lot of us in the church world, we want to shake God's hand while we carry the sword, the sword of our will. We must surrender our wills to God before we can be in complete fellowship with Him. Let's bow our head and close our eyes this morning.